0: This is Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, both of them. One from California, one from Massachusetts. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network.
1: Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could join us today for the show Coast to Coast. Today is December 8, 2005. I'm Bob Ambrogi in Massachusetts.
2: And I'm Craig Williams from Southern California. Last week's show, Bob, on the abortion notification law is up on the Legal Talk Network. Uh, and this past week, as I know you have, uh, I've been writing my blog called May It Please the Court.
1: That's right, and I've been writing my blog called... Law sites uh, and another blog called Media Law. Busy with two blogs at both at LegalLine.com. Today's program, we're going to discuss the Solomon Amendment. Uh, of course, the Supreme Court heard arguments uh, earlier this week uh, on this matter. The uh, Solomon Amendment was named for its sponsor, uh, U.S. Representative Gerald Solomon, Republican from New York. It was first passed by Congress in 1994 and requires universities to permit military recruiting on campus or forfeit their federal funds. The Third Circuit held that the Solomon Amendment violates constitutionally protected rights of expressive association because it penalizes universities who want to disassociate themselves from the military's Don't Ask, Don't Tell recruitment policies.
2: Well, Bob, as you mentioned, the Supreme Court heard those arguments in Rumsfeld v. Fair, which was a case that pits a broad group of law professors against the federal government and raises some fairly critical issues about national security, constitutional law, and the role of university in a free society.
1: The case before the Supreme Court, Rumsfeld v. Fair, features the Secretary of Defense and five other cabinet officials against the Forum for Academic and Institutional Rights, Fair, a nationwide coalition of 36 anti-Solomon Amendment law schools. Uh, Harvard uh, Law School is one of those universities. Uh, Harvard is not a member of the coalition but the university has filed a friend of the court brief backing fair and half of the Harvard Law faculty has submitted a separate brief in the case. Harvard Law School requires all on-campus recruiters to sign a pledge saying they won't discriminate against gays and lesbians. The military, which bars gays and lesbians from serving openly under its don't ask, don't tell policy, Refuses to sign the pledge. And I'm also proud to say that my own law school, Boston College Law School, was was uh, an active participant in this case.
2: Well, that's, it's, that's a good thing, Bob. I'm, my law school, actually, I, and I haven't checked. I don't know where Iowa is on the list. Uh, I'll have to find out. But uh, FAIR contends that Solomon Amendment violates the First Amendment rights of its members by conditioning federal funds to universities on its members' support of military recruitment on campus, recruitment that blatantly excludes openly gay, lesbian, and bisexual law students as well as transgender law students. Right now, we're going to play an excerpt from the arguments in front of the Supreme Court. Paul Clement, the Solicitor General, is arguing for the Justice Department. Let's take a listen.
3: The Solomon Amendment conditions the federal funding of educational institutions on receiving something that any donor would expect, the opportunity to recruit students educated at the funded institutions. That opportunity allows the military a fair shot at recruiting the best and the brightest for the military's critical and vital mission. The federal government does not insist on any predetermined level of access. Rather, it simply asks what other employers receive. Likewise, the uh, recipient schools remain free to criticize the military and its policies. And of course, they remain free to decline federal funds altogether. As a result of these circumstances, the Solomon Amendment comports with both the Constitution and with common sense. Um, when you say at uh, it asks what other employers receive, but these institutions, I gather, would not allow other employers who have the same policy uh, against uh, the hiring of homosexuals to uh, interview uh, at their institutions. so you're you're receiving what other employers in the same
0: situation would receive.
3: Well, I I think, Justice Scalia, you have to look at the, I think, the statute in two steps. One is, I think it's quite clear that it gives the military a right to gain access to campus, as a condition, that that they have to gain access to campus in order to perform their military recruiting.
4: But it says, I thought it says, the military must have equal access with any other employer. Now, every other employer is subject to the same policy, presumably, of the law school.
3: Well, with respect, Justice O'Connor, I think there's several points to be made in response to that. First of all, I think the Solomon Amendment itself is a recognition that the military is not like any other employer for purposes of its policy and its treatments of homosexuals. And I think that, unlike any other employer, the military's policy is a result of a congressional mandate.
1: Well, and, well that's, that's fine, but you were the one that made the argument that they want the same access as other employers. And, and that's
3: and, and what, what I would want, say just, just
1: want, want to make sure what the calculus is at the
3: outset. Well, and Justice Kennedy, I think the point I would say is in terms of gaining access to campus, we want to gain access at a level and under circumstances that perhaps some other employer would be excluded. Now, once access is gained, then the question arose under the prior version of the statute, all right, if access is gained, what level of access suffices? And on that second order question of what level of access suffices, then you look to what is provided to any other employer. And so that's why, when I say that, that we don't ask for any predetermined level, we don't ask for seven meetings a year, we don't ask for extra, uh, entrance into the public address system or the email system. We simply say, once you let us on campus, just give us and extend to us an opportunity to recruit on the same terms as others. And that obviously reflects the common sense judgment that the military is competing for the same pool of students that the other employers are competing for. A
0: yes.
2: constitutional argument, I guess, is does the Constitution require uh, access? Is, does it permit a, a statute which says you have to give access to the military when you wouldn't give access to any other employer?
1: Well, there you have a clip from uh, Solicitor General Paul Clement's arguments earlier this week before the Supreme Court. We're going to turn to our guest now. Uh, our We welcome to the show Laura Schwartz. Laura is Chief Legislative Counsel for Human Rights Campaign, an organization that works for equal rights for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people. Uh, Laura uh, joined the organization as senior counsel in 2002. She's a graduate of Harvard Law School and Brown University and admitted to the bars of Maryland and Washington, D.C. She advocates against discriminatory constitutional amendments such as the Federal Marriage Amendment. She promotes legislation on tax benefits and other issues that affect the everyday lives of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people and their families, as well as legislation to prevent bias-motivated violence. Attorney Schwartz works on matters affecting the judiciary, including judicial nominations and opposition to measures that threaten judicial independence. Welcome to the show, Laura Schwartz.
4: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: I wanted to ask a question regarding the uh, the Solomon Amendment. Universities can lose hundreds of thousands of dollars and millions of uh, yeah. in funding uh, from the federal government if they don't allow military recruiters on campus. And I presume your position is this is really essentially just a type of blackmail.
4: Uh, well, I I hadn't put it that way before, um, you know myself, but uh, we don't agree with the Solomon Amendment. Um, human Rights Campaign signed on to a friend of the court brief um, in in fair. Um, And uh, what this basically amounts to is forcing uh, universities to violate their own non-discrimination policies. Um, So uh, I I guess you could look at it as blackmail. Um, It's also taking law schools, which have a very unique um, expressive um, function relative to other portions of of a university, um, and really hinging the rest of the university's um, the rest of the university's viability on um on the much more unique expressive um qualities that a law school has which which harms the universities themselves
1: uh, is it lara or lara Am i remember i I'm sorry uh, lara did you uh i know you just heard a clip from the arguments i wondered if you had uh, heard any more of the arguments the other day
4: i listened to some of the tapes actually um, what, what is
1: your what is your takeaway from that? What is your impression of, of that? And, and are you uh, handicapping at all? What what you think might happen with the, happen with this case?
4: You know, I'm not going to handicap it at all, and I'll tell you why. Um, I think that this case really involves challenges for a justice um, if they're going to try and take a, like a non results oriented position of ideological purity because on the one hand you have um the idea of deference to the military which i think is a standard um you know conservative value that that a justice um of that bent um might might very much want to uphold but on the other hand you have this right of expressive association um that very much the the more conservative members of the court um i think particularly in the areas of um Things relating to religious scruple, for instance, have have really carved out great latitude for um, for expressive association. Um, and then there's you know there's issues of spending clause power, which you know Justice Robert, Chief Justice Roberts, in particular, doesn't seem to uh, be very impressed with spending clause power. So these justices are you know they're faced with this task of taking a bunch of questions that, in some sense, they might have. Very conflicting views about and deciding which which part wins, so I, you know one thing that I think is that um, this is not going to be one of, one of the cases that comes out very quickly
1: Well, Justice Scalia was was uh, focusing on the the, uh, uh, the provision of the Constitution that allows Congress to to raise armies Yes. I uh, kept asking about that.
4: Well, it's interesting because the idea of Congress raising armies when you're talking about the Judge Advocate General Corps, I'm not, core. I'm not, I'm not positive that... Um that, that that's very persuasive, although, you know, quite an intelligent approach. I think, um, you know, let's see how good I am at, at kind of blind identification by voice of justices. I think Breyer got it exactly right in the clip that you played, where it's really not an issue of equal access. It's an issue of providing the mil- military a form of access that, it actually, that a university actually would deny to other employers who engage in the same discriminatory behavior. Um, so I think he got that one exactly right in framing the case.
2: How do you view the perspective of the military having the right because it's paying for the right?
4: Paying for the right in what sense?
2: Paying for the right of access by, the fund, by granting funding to the universities.
4: Um, well, you know, I, I think that's a sticky issue um, because, in a sense, the military couldn't buy its way out of Title Seven, for instance. Um, it couldn't really buy its way out of Title IX. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that that's the kind of argument that should that should rule the day.
2: My experience in the military, I went to the Coast Guard Academy uh, and spent some time in the Coast Guard briefly before uh, women were allowed in the school. And I'm familiar with some of my uh, classmates and friends that had some difficult issues with women coming into the school. It is... Um, It's a tough question, but is really being in the military something that uh, is a right that's worth fighting for? I mean, there's a lot of people that want to avoid being in the military.
4: Yeah, I mean, and right now we're actually seeing that recruitment is a real challenge for the military um, for a variety of reasons, including the hardships related to long deployments. Um, You know, I I think it's, it's a fascinating idea to talk about the right to be in the military because essentially... You know, a lot of people don't want to do it. The pay isn't good. The danger is high. Um, and what you have essentially is patriots who are signing up to put themselves in the line of fire um, to protect our country um, and spare other people um, the necessity of doing so. We we do know that there was a... Um, I believe 2004 study of military families who said yeah we want to end don't ask don't tell and get our you know our sons and daughters and husbands and wives home. Um, so this is
0: you know the idea of
4: the right to serve in the military. I think the question is more about you know what's good for the country in terms of military readiness and also the idea of you know full citizenship. I think has to be looked at as the ability to be viewed by your government as able to participate and contribute to the same extent as any other citizen. Um,
2: I would guess that the military, as a group, is much more conservative than the general public, and there would seem to be kind of an inherent self-selection against, as from my own experience, from against women in the military and against. Uh, gay, lesbian bi and transgender people what's your reaction to
4: that Well, I do know um from recent studies that um the rank and file uh soldiers are much more accepting in terms of um g l b t service members than the older guard brass um and i I think that just might be you know very similar to way the way things are in our in our culture generally that younger people are are much more. You know, comfortable with GLBT people, um, I am very aware that there have been huge challenges in, with women in the Army, with um, you know, the discrimination, harassment, et cetera, that they have faced. Um, currently abroad, um, American service members are serving with uh, international units that include openly gay and lesbian uh, service members. So they are already serving. With gay people, they're just not serving with gay people, openly gay people under um, under the U.S. flag. It's also my understanding that um, recruitment, being what it is, extended deployments, being what they are, um, the current defense needs, being what they are, that there are people coming out and saying, "Okay, I'm out," <laughs> and um, and their com- commanders going, "You know, get back to work, soldier." <laughs> um so you know, you have you have this bizarre um moment where we're basically at war on two fronts. Um recruiting is not going well. You have absolute needs in really specialized technical areas such as Arabic translators, and you have the army kicking out people who are good at their jobs that the army has already paid uh to train. Who could help and catch terrorists, and we know overwhelmingly the American public doesn't care uh, whether the um the soldier who ultimately catches Osama bin Laden is gay um, you know they there, just want the guy caught
1: there's there's been some suggestion that that what's really going on here is that the law schools are opposed to military recruiting on campus, and that if the military were to eliminate the don't ask don 't tell policy uh, that that law schools would then look for some other reason to object to uh, military recruiters on campus. Uh, Do do you have any thoughts on on that?
4: Well, you know, I haven't been in law school in a little while. Um, The particular law school I went to, Harvard, that is very hard for me to imagine. Um, I I think that law schools in general, first of all, are a little more conservative than they they have in the past been believed to be. But I, I think it basically comes down to, um, being able to enforce your own non-discrimination policy. I mean, there's been a statement of values that um, that that not only the law schools have adopted, but the students choosing to attend the law schools had an expectation would be enforced. Um, you know, with you know, there are dozens, if not hundreds. For instance, at my old law school, Harvard. Of um, recruiters who come, who are firms that uh, do union busting. They represent um, asbestos producers. They, you know, uh, do any number of kinds of, of of lobbying for for dubious causes that would make the average, you know, uh, pie in the sky intellectual elite liberal nasty law professor stereotype cringe, and nobody. Uh, has tried to keep these people who who do kind of um kind of politically unsavory from those law professors perspective off campus it's really a matter of you've got a statement of principle a statement of non-discrimination and one employer that won't abide by it and one and and the um and the government strong-arming the universities into saying No, you can't enforce a non-discrimination policy, which, by the way, allows your student body, the GLBT members of your student body, to be fully supported, full citizens of your academic community.
2: Well, the Solomon Amendment doesn't prevent... Uh, protests from being lodged, and it seems to me from that standpoint that this is more of an objection to the symptom rather than the problem, because the problem really is the don't ask, don't tell policy, not necessarily the recruitment on campus.
4: Well, I think the don't ask, don't tell policy um, is very much, you know, at the heart of all of this. I mean, it's a stupid policy, it's an unfair policy, it's an unworkable policy. Um, It's an offense to the soldiers who are serving anyway, and it's an offense to the law students um, there. Um, So I I think there's something right about saying, yeah, at the the core of this, the Solomon Amendment is abhorrent. But I think also the the law professors do have a good point um, about, you know, if you're not going to allow a university to have principles that it stands by, if you're going to strong arm a university into... Um, abandoning its non-discrimination policy for certain very limited purposes—you know what's next, really? What can the government decide um, that a university has to do? Can the can the government, you know, force force a university to uh, teach intelligent design? I mean, what what is it that the government's going to do next to hamper um, to hamper free expression, free association among law schools? So I think there's definitely a principle there that goes, goes beyond don't ask, don't tell. But don't ask, don't tell is, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a really stupid policy. Um.
1: Lara and Craig, we're going to just take a, a, a break, and uh, when we return, we're going to wrap up our discussion and get some final thoughts from our guest. We'll be right back.
0: We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our practice center sections. Coast to Coast is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com.
2: Welcome back to Coast to Coast on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams.
1: I'm Bob Ambrogi. Craig, what happened to that ROTC commercial I was expecting to hear Uh
2: and I was just thinking that my classmate from law school, uh, Steve Lokensgard, was a member of the ROTC and actually joined um, the JAG Corps after graduating from law school. And I was thinking that he would have made a wonderful guest from today, and I'm embarrassed that I didn't think to ask him because his support of the situation is uh, is very strong. And I think it was reflective as a major in the Army, reflective of uh, kind of, as, as Lara mentioned, the big brass um, who are really – in favor of the "don't ask, don't tell" policy because of the kind of calmness that pervades the military and their perception that there's ability to to prevent uh, the kind of dis, uh, issues that Laura described in terms of women coming into the military.
1: Well, but I suspect that there are uh, many in the military who oppose the policy. If that policy is is really what's underlying this the objections to uh, recruiting on campus, I'm, I'm wondering, Laura, what. Uh, is there any uh, activity with Human Rights Campaign or elsewhere to to change the policy, and is there any likelihood that the policy will change at some point?
4: Well, absolutely. The Human Rights Campaign is working with a coalition um, led by service members, Legal Defense Network, um, to repeal Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and repeal the ban on um, LGBT service members. Um, there's legislation that has been introduced in Congress um, in the House on a bipartisan basis um, with bipartisan sponsors. So, um, yes, there's there's every intention to work um, from that direction. Um, and I, I would like to add, you know, regarding the perspective of the service members, uh, the JAG Corps representatives, et cetera, that um, I think there's an enormous respect, whether under in the GLBT community um, and really across the, the country, for people who decide to serve. Um, And, uh, you know, I know people, for instance, who work at at service members, that's the main organization opposing Don't Ask, Don't Tell, who are former Army um, uh, service members. So I think this idea of a hostility to the military makes no sense, because why would gay people be trying to serve, (laughs) you know? Um, I think there's a real respect for the institution and a, a disrespect from the idea of being excluded from it or if if not excluded from it, forced to lose out on the things that military people really need, like the ability to have an open email or phone conversation with your loved one back home while you're deployed. Um so it's it's really shouldn't be framed as a pro military, anti military conversation, but really about a wrong-headed policy. And, you know, we've, we've known in this country, we've been there and done that, that any time uh, an institution, particularly one with a, with a long, uh, very stable tradition, uh, gets integrated in some way, whether by, by race or by gender, and now by sexual orientation, um, there are serious growing pains and there are serious friction. And I don't think that people... Um, are completely oblivious to that. Uh, it just comes down to the better policy is to work through that friction rather than, you know, kicking out people who know Arabic at the time that you're um, that you're trying to monitor terrorist chatter.
2: I have kind of a sucker punch question. Um,
4: oh, good lord! <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs>
2: no, it's kind of. I, The design to find out whether—let's assume that the Solomon Amendment was overruled by the Supreme Court, although my prediction is that it won't be. Mm -hmm. Um, Assuming that it is overruled by the Supreme Court, do you think that there is going to be an active effort on behalf of the GLBT community to support military recruitment?
4: In other words, the Solomon Amendment is struck down, but don't ask, don't tell is not.
2: Well, let's assume that both both are struck. You know, there's because no challenge right now. to don't
4: doesn't have don't ask, don't tell on it. Right,
2: but let's assume that both were. They
4: win the Solomon Amendment, and then and then the the repeal bill passes, and the idea is would the GLBT community encourage everybody to go out and join the army? Right. Well, that's an interesting question because I don't know that after, let's say, racial integration of the military under Eisenhower, um, there were calls by African American leaders for everybody to go sign up. I think the organizations like American Veterans for Equal Rights who are very, very proud of their association with the military and the people all along who've been interested in serving uh for whatever reason will continue to do so. And I also think GLBT people are supportive of their community members who do try to serve as best they can. Um mm-hmm. Whether it becomes a priority for the community to get more gay people to serve, it just seems like such a matter of personal conscience and choice to decide whether to be in the military. Um, I, I I don't know. I, I don't know of a community that's that's gone and rounded up people within that community and said, "Hey, everybody, you have to go serve in the military."
2: Right. There was no jo- feminist groups that joined immediately after.
4: Like, I don't know, for instance, that women's organizations, um, you know, sounded a rallying call that women need to all go join the Army once the Army became more, more gender equal than it, than it had been.
1: Laura, I wonder if I could ask you, uh, moving off the Solomon case for a second, just to ask you what, what else on the uh, Supreme Court's uh, agenda are, are you guys watching and what's of interest to you in, in the coming months of the court?
4: Well, I think the AOT case, which I, I believe you have a show coming up on, is important because um, the issue of privacy um, and the issue of rolling back the line of cases um, that supports, for instance, Lawrence v. Texas, um, is of concern. Um, HRC, in particular, is a pro-choice organization, but um, you know the uh, the AOT case could, in particular, um, tip. Justice Roberts' hand, if you will, as to where he's thinking of going. Um, so I think that's very important. Looking down the pipeline, um, there are various cases in their earlier iterations that you can see happening in the next few years, um, such as similar cases regarding universities' ability to enforce their non discrimination uh, policies when religious groups object to including gay students. Um there are obviously challenges in the area of um benefits and recognitions for for people in same sex relationships. Um so I think the court is going to be seeing things but in the you know October two thousand five term, um, these two cases, um, Fair and Ayot would be probably the ones that will be most closely examined. Probably by us and almost everybody else really. Right.
2: Well, Lara, Lara, do you have any final thoughts on the Solomon Amendment or the, uh, cl- the don't ask, don't tell policy? One of the questions that we didn't get to ask you is that uh, one of the conservative comebacks of the don't ask, don't tell policy is that it was enacted by the Clinton administration.
4: Well, you know, um, <laughs> that's – I think that doesn't make it right, you know. I mean, I, I think things happen in Washington based on um, – based on what's possible at the time. And uh, former President Clinton himself (laughs) says, you know, that wasn't the way to go. It wasn't the way to go. It seemed like a move forward, and it's been disastrous. Um, Ultimately, what's right and what's wrong uh, comes down to uh, it's not partisan. You know, it comes down to the ability of our citizens to uh, express their citizenship fully, and the ability of our country to get the most out of um, out of the people who are willing to die for it. And, you know, regardless of which president or which member of Congress disagrees, those are fairly fundamental principles.
1: Craig, are you suggesting that if it came out of the Clinton administration, it should be right? No, no,
2: not at all.
4: <laughs> I mean, we hear that all the time about the Defense of Marriage Act, that... Uh, although it was a republican congress um that clinton signed it and uh you know i i don't think that makes it right and, and there have been there have been republicans who have taken very positive and important stands on such you know ridiculous laws and and uh and democrats who have not and at the end of the day uh equality is um you know knows no party <laughs> it's uh it's if it's wrong it's wrong
2: Laura, we really appreciate your participating in our show today. There have been some really clarifying thoughts, at least from my perspective, and uh, I know that our listeners are going to appreciate your participation. Uh, Attorney Schwartz, again, Chief Legislative Counsel for the Human Rights Campaign uh, and a graduate of Harvard Law School and Brown University. Thanks very much for participating today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, Bob, that's our show for today. Laura gave us some pretty good perspective on the Solomon Amendment and the don't talk, don't ask, don't tell uh, whole issue and thanks very much for participating
1: all right craig good as always to talk to you and look forward to talking to you next week
0: thanks for listening to coast to coast with jay craig williams and robert Ambrogi. coast to coast has been sponsored by law.com we hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the legal talk network